Here we are with Eric Valtunas, Senior ETF Analyst for Bloomberg. Um, Eric, it's so great to have you here at the Defined Podcast. Welcome. Good to see you, uh, my old colleague. Yes. <laughs> so if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know I was at Bloomberg News before uh, the Defiant. Um, so the ETF, the Bitcoin ETF has been just the the main headline in crypto in, in the past couple of weeks. Um, and this expectation that there will be a, a Bitcoin or a crypto linked ETF has been around pretty much uh, almost as long as Bitcoin has been around. Like the, I think the first ETF was filed uh, in 2013 by the Winklevoss twins. Um, ticker was Coin. It was rejected a few times uh, by the SEC, and then every single other uh, application has been rejected too. Uh, but I think the recent optimism is linked to the fact that uh, it's BlackRock making uh, the application. So uh, if, if you can just get us up to speed on um, this, uh, you know, the, the most recent uh, Bitcoin ETF headlines, like why, why do you think uh, Bitcoin seemed to uh, start a new rally uh, based on just ETF chatter? Yeah, um, well, I will say, I think um, the, mar the Bitcoin market is looking for anything to rally on. I think there's definitely a high demand for what we call hopium. <laughs> so at the time, I'm a conduit for what would be one of the biggest bits of hopium there is, which is an ETF approval. If an ETF's approved and multiple ETFs are approved, um, the main way to look at this is ETF is a bridge to advisor assets. Advisors are typically a little older and they manage money for wealthy boomers, right? Boomers have well well over half the money in the U.S. They own half the stock market. Uh, they're loaded, basically. And so these advisors look after their money, and the advisors love ETFs. It's their preferred vehicle in which to do anything, whether it's stocks, bonds, gold. They love the ETF. Um, it just fits in their plumbing. It's easy. It's cheap. It's tax efficient. And so putting Bitcoin in that wrapper, all of a sudden just sort of opens up another portal for potential money. So these advisors manage $30 trillion. That's a lot of money now. So even if like uh, a fraction of 1% were to go into these ETFs, that's a couple hundred billion. So that's the potential here. Um, so I get it. The hopium is, I think, uh, merited. Um, and the big companies involved like BlackRock and Fidelity who have filings, as well as like smaller companies like ARK, uh, VanEck, probably missing some people, Bitwise. Um, the, it's everything from big behemoths to more indie, local, native. You know, Galaxy has one with Invesco that's filed. So all of these companies have massive sales forces. Um, and they're interested in this because they could probably earn a, a little more fee in a Bitcoin ETF. Um, right now, and it's tough to compete with Vanguard in stocks and bonds. So everybody sees an opportunity here. I think the crypto crowd sees an opportunity to get boomer assets. I think the asset managers see opportunity to get a little a little fee. Um, again, it won't be a lot. It'll be the the ETFs will be way cheaper to trade than Coinbase um, and those kind of places. But there'll be more of a fee than charging 0.03 percent competing with Vanguard for like an S and P 500 ETF. Um, and then I think the boomers uh, who are interested in this exposure but don't want to mess with some, some kind of wallet 
remembering like 12 words for the rest of their life. God forbid they lose it. You know, I, that kind of stress, I want no part of it. I understand um, that they would now have a very easy, accessible, simple, one click of a button way to get exposure. So I think a lot, this just solves a lot. It helps a lot. It's a win-win. It seems like only additive. Um, and that's what is going on here. So the stakes are high. It's been a 10-year saga, as you mentioned. Um, and who will win, right? There's probably only room for one or two stud uh, ETFs in this category. Um, but, you know, many will survive. They'll be in the middle class. A couple will probably close. But that's another question is the race itself. But anyway, right now we're probably about 10 weeks out-ish from these being approved and launched according to our calculations. Uh, that would put them early in 2024. Um, we'll obviously amend those as we go, but that's that's where we stand. So we're kind of in the home stretch. If you look at 10 years and then you consider 10 weeks, this would be like the last 2% of this story, right? This is the the home stretch of a 10-year saga. So it's occupied a lot of my, my um, brain, probably too much. Um, you know, I lose my mind on occasion. And I think the it's rallying off of this because of all of those implications. But why... Why is there increased optimism that this time, you know, like these few filings that are in will be the ones that finally get approved? Right. Um, two big reasons. One is that the SEC's original reason for denying them got thrown out in court. Basically, a court vacated their decision. Grayscale sued, sued the SEC and won. Um, it was a three to nothing victory. And the court basically said, your reasons for fraud and manipulation uh, don't make sense, especially because they approved futures ETFs that track Bitcoin futures. So long story short, that is a major, that's a major reason. Another reason is BlackRock entering. Um, you know, this is massive company, uh, adds a, a lot of like stability and um, even even a little potential pushing of the SEC, like, hey, it's BlackRock's involved now. Let's let's get on with this. Um, and time, I think, you know, over the years, uh, there's been some evolution to all this and a lot of history and uh, learning trial by error. People kind of know how to trade it, what it is. Um, I don't think the interest is as high as 2021. It was like a mania. And then after FTX, every, everything got like a a huge bucket of cold water, but it's kind of, you know, moved on to this other place. And I think the next era will be traditional finances, incorporation of this asset class uh, into regular portfolios, people using it in the same way they might use gold, or even I would say something more like, you know, hot sauce, because I don't know how stable this is, but I do know as somebody who has a boring core, like Vanguard index funds, which is great, you know, there's probably arguably the best way to invest, especially if you wait 30 years, you make a ton, but it is boring and you got to do a lot of waiting. So I think Bitcoin gives you a little, a little spice for a vanilla portfolio. And I think a lot of advisors will see that. Um, and so, um, you know, that's sort of, I think the evolution that's happened over the past couple of years, which has um, mattered but again, I, w I went in priority. I think the grayscale lawsuit is the most important thing. BlackRock filing number two, and then just sort of the evolution of things. So um, that's sort of where we're at. And the, the, the grayscale case, um, what was grayscale arguing? Basically, they, I mean, it's pretty simple. 
the SEC approved Bitcoin futures ETFs. And the SEC's logic well, was, well, the CME regulates Bitcoin futures. Therefore, the ETF is tracking a regulated thing, even though the futures price is rift off of the spot market. Right? There's a 99.5% correlation. So the main argument they're making is how could you possibly approve futures and think that those would be okay and not spot? It doesn't make any sense. Um, because if there's fraud and manip manipulation in the spot market, it would clearly transfer into the futures market into the ETF. Approving just futures was like one of these moves that I think only a lawyer or a regulation person would do. It doesn't make logical sense, but it might make legal sense. But the court saw more logic and they were like, this is illogical. And, and that's ultimately what the court said. So they said, your grounds for denying spot on uh, fraud and manipulation is invalid because you approved the futures ETFs, which are the same thing. So they didn't say approve spot, but they basically said your reasoning is no good. And so the SEC then has had 45 days to appeal and they didn't. And the other option they could do is they could come out um, when the first filing, um, when they have to deal with the first filing deadline, which would be January 10th, they could come out and have a new reason for de denial. They could say, well, we think custody is a problem now. And that was one thing we worried about was that they could have a new reason for denial. But we are constantly in touch with people back channel. We have been also looking at the documents and what's been going on is the issuers have received uh, comments from the SEC on the filings. And they've taken these comments and questions and re-edited their filing to make more disclosure, better disclosure, and they, and they file what's called an amendment. The more amendments come in, the better we are, because that's like a normal process. The, every other time they denied the ETF over the 10 years, it was like radio silence and then bam, a long denial letter. So the fact that they're working with the issuers is a huge uh, deal. Clearly, we think someone up high, probably Gensler, said, let's do this and told each branch that's involved, figure out a way to make this work. That's what we think. I mean, there's still this we have a 10% chance still that there could be like a major rug pull. <laughs> like somehow they just go, no, we're not ready. And it's a big disappointment. So I'm not saying it's a hundred percent chance, but the more routine this gets, the better off it is because before it wasn't routine. It was radio silence. And then this really awful sort of nasty denial, unnasty, but like disappointing denial, um, and you can understand that three or four of these denial letters over 10 years, and then you approve futures ETFs, and then you let a 2x futures Bitcoin ETF out, which is BitX, you, got, you have to shake your head. And I, I think all of this points to this just illogical positioning of the SEC. So now they have no legal grounds. The logic looks awful. And so it started to become politically untenable, I think, to keep denying them. It's just too much PR risk now to to come out and be like, oh yeah, here's this new reason. Let's move the goalposts. So anyway, I think all of that is is put pressure on on them, and it's the easiest path for them, to be honest with you. If if you're if you are them, the best thing to do is just to prove it and move on with your life. I, I, they should not fight this anymore. And the market's ready for it. You know, there are major market makers who can deal with this. There's plenty of liquidity. They've been launching these spot products in other countries 
right and left, and they've worked fine. We got to see them act during the FTX uh, drawdown days. They did a good job. You know, you'll see the uh, discounts widen a little more than you'd like, but in a crisis, that's normal. In 2020, bond ETFs had a little bigger of a discount than you like because it's a little stress. So again, but we monitor how well it tracks during bumps up and, you know, crashes, not crashes, but drawdowns that are steep. And it's fine. And in the U.S., there's way more liquidity. So we, we think those premiums and discounts will be even smaller here in the U.S. So we've long thought they should have done this. So um, I, I know they have to take the L a little bit here, but they should. I mean, there's, what else is there to do? So our legal analyst has said that they have very little wiggle room. That's it. Those are his words. So, and that's, that's huge because remember, these are all lawyers by training. So the, the legal aspect of this is a big factor. And so is the political PR aspect. Super interesting. And so you think that, um, you know, the, these amendments uh, during this time are, are a good sign that things are moving along like any other normal process would. And is it, is it the, the, what commonly happens that the approval comes on the day that the SEC needs to make a decision? That's why you're estimating 10 weeks? It could come sooner. Um, we, we still think there's a good shot it comes this year. Um, but, you know, now we're nine weeks, eight, uh, what are we, eight weeks, sorry, eight weeks left till the end of the year, right? So this is, we're getting, we're now in like the fourth quarter of the game, so to speak. Um, so, um, but January 10th is a deadline. So, but it could be, could be a type of deal where um, a leak of the approval comes out in early December, right? And then we hear that they're going to be ready to go by January. But I think we're going to learn a lot in the next eight weeks. And whether they launch on January 20th, February 10th, or December 28th, I don't know. But I imagine we're going to hear some things coming out over the next eight weeks that are going to tell us exactly where we stand. So if I had to guess, you know, you and I will wake up one day in, um, you know, a couple weeks and we're going to hear they, they're deciding to move forward and he, here's their plan. Because the other part of this is who do they approve first? You know, ARC is the first one up, but uh, I don't think they're going to want to just put one out because whoever gets out first would get all the money. So they're going to put many out at once. So I think they're going to accelerate the ones that are due in March and April and move those up to the ARC date and put a bunch out in early 2024. Um, I have a stake dinner bet that they're going to come out this year, so I'm hoping it's in December. But either way, we're talking about days at that point. Um, so I think that's sort of how this will play out. Um, but everything about this is novel, unusual, and and different. So I just, you know, we're we're all we're giving our best take as we go and as the information you know exists, and it can evolve. Which ones do you think would be approved first? You said uh, ARC and like, w would BlackRock be among them? My guess is they did this with the Ether Futures ETFs, which launched um, a month ago. They basically said to people, we're going to accelerate you to this date. If you're ready with all your stuff and all your documents, you can launch. So whoever was ready launched. And then I think two of them weren't ready on day one. They came out the next day, maybe one. But I think three or four launched Well, three straight ethers and like four ether plus Bitcoin. So seven, I think, launched on that first day. My guess is we'll have something similar. 
you know, seven on day one, a straggler on day two, and then maybe one or two just, you know, fade away. What about this is, is so unusual? Like the fact that the, the futures uh, ETFs were, were approved first uh, and uh, before the spot, or like what exactly about it? What's that? Is that unusual? Yeah. No, no, no. You said you said like you, that we're dealing with um, a really unusual, uh, you know, situation. Well, unusual in many regards, and there's never ever been uh, like ten years, like a filing coming in for ten years and waiting in 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 regulatory purgatory. When the first ETF ever came out, spy, that sat with the SEC for four years. Because that was a brand new structure. It was like, well, what is this thing? So they needed like three or four years to sort of figure it out. This is more than double that at this point. So that's, yeah, most, even like the first bond ETF, the first gold ETF, that they took, you know, a matter of months to figure out, uh, maybe a year, not 10. That, that's weird. Now you got this idea that it's a digital asset. That's a new thing. And it has some of the politicians care about it. They think it's used for bad stuff. So it's got that whole element too, which you don't really get with gold or stocks and bonds. So for a variety of reasons, it's very unusual <laughs> for sure. Um, but there's now hundreds of them all over the world. So um, they provided a good incubator for like how it can work fine. It's not a big deal. Um, so You know, it's unusual, but not really. The other unusual part is approving the futures. We have this thing called the BI ETF traffic light. And that's a system that is similar to like, um, you know, like movie ratings, PG, PG-13 and R. Um, certain ETFs have weird stuff going on and they can produce what I would call a nasty surprise, like leverage ETFs, rolling futures. Um, so we have green, yellow and red. And it's just, it's not to say invest, go up or down. It's just to say, hey, there's a couple things in here that you should know about that are not normal. Like Vanguard's all green. Like it's nothing to see here. What you get is see is what you get. But like a Bitcoin futures ETF is, is a red light product because it rolls futures and, and that rolling futures incurs costs. So Bitto right now is tra uh, trailing the index by like 6%. So that's, that's a lot of cost, a tracking cost that you wouldn't get with spot. So a spot ETF would ironically be a green light. So it's almost like they approve the sort of more dangerous thing before the safer thing. And I, that's weird too. Um, it's crazy that it it's taking them longer to approve the Bitcoin ETF than it took them to approve the first ETF ever. I had no idea. It's insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, um, my first book, I delved into the story of spy and, um, and, Even four years, the whole culture had changed. You know, they filed it in 88, and it wasn't approved until 92. And, you know, they went from, like, Michael Jackson to Nirvana. Like, the whole – everything in culture had changed over those four years. That's how long four years is. It's a whole college – like, you can go through college in four years. So now we're on 10. <laughs> I mean, it's like a decade. I think I had – I didn't have gray hair when they first filed. I think I <laughs> – so that's how long it's been. So far, like with, with all the, um, the, the experience and track record that we've had in this time waiting for the actual Bitcoin spot ETF, um, what's the demand been like? 
judging from futures, ETFs, uh, and from uh, spot uh, instruments offshore? Um, good. P pretty decent. Uh, you know, when BITO launched in October 2021, it was instantly the biggest launch ever. Um, it, it traded a billion dollars in the first day and reached the billion dollars in assets on day two. The previous record holder was GLD, which did it in three days. So um, that was big sign that there is a demand. But remember, that was in the mania. It's no longer a mania. So I think it'll be a cooler response um, short term. But I think over time, you're going to see uh, good growth in this category. I think um, GBTC, which is, still exists, which is a private trust, the Grayscale Fund, that has $20 billion. So there's $20 billion in something that's not ideal. Bitto has $1 billion. There's 21. And then you're looking at people who might have been holding out um, you know, uh, for the last couple of years, knowing an ETF's coming. So you add all that up, you're looking at maybe 25, 30 billion in the first year or two, I would think, um, especially when you've got BlackRock and Fidelity involved. Um, but I think day one, week one, it won't be like fireworks. Uh, I just don't see, because what really drove Bitto's volume back in 2021 was retail. It was a frenzy. A lot of the volume was small investors, and there was this huge bed of demand just waiting, like a bunch of fish waiting to be fed. That Those retail investors either have gone away because they got burned, or they hold the wallet themselves so they have a Coinbase account. They figured out something else out in the meantime. So I think the real new area is the advisor market. And advisors don't go wild on day one. Like they're not, They just don't behave like that. So they may do a little due diligence over the first week, figuring out like, okay, which one should we use? What's the cost? You know, who's, which, which one's getting the volume? There could be some waiting by some of the bigger investors. So I, I think we're going to see more of a ramp up than like a, a massive spike and then like sort of, you know, a little bit of a fall off after that. In other words, instead of looking like this, which is sort of like Bitto, it'll probably look more like, and then wave up and down. That's my guess. Yeah, it makes sense. What happens to GBTC if the spot ETF is approved? Well, they're trying to get um, the SC to let them convert at the same time. So it's possible GBTC could be part of the whole race. It's possible, I don't know, the SC uses some legal tactic to hold them up because, remember, they might be a little upset they got sued and embarrassed. Um, don't know. Um, but they're they're definitely trying. They want to be part of the uh, people who uh, are out on day one, we don't know. It's a, it's a subplot that we're also watching, but that's an unknown for sure right now. We don't know. It's it's what the market is expecting, though, right? We have a, a story out today on how the discount has has narrowed. I guess people are expecting that that will happen. Yeah, I mean, let me look it up. It's last I checked, it was like fourteen percent or something. Um, Looks like it's 11%. Is that right? Let me see. 11%. Yeah, it's about as low as it's been in a long time. So the higher, the lower that discount goes, the more people think it will be part of a, a conversion and into an ETF. Um, but still 11%. If, if there was rumors it was going to convert soon, it, that 11% would probably get even smaller. So I think that gap tells you there's still some hesitancy that it might not get converted with the other ones that come out. If it doesn't, it's going to be in trouble because you got to, you got to sort of get volume quickly. It's hard to be late on that front. 
um, and they're charged two percent. I know I can tell you for a fact the, the other ones are going to be much lower, like BlackRock, Fidelity. My guess is the average will be somewhere between sixty and seventy basis points, with the high end being one percent. And then they're probably going to be somebody who comes out as the cheap guy at like 40. It might be one of the smaller issuers trying to get an edge on BlackRock. So that's probably the range. All of those is half the cost of GBTC. So they'd have to either lower their fee instantly, um, and then they got to play catch up on top of that. The good news is they have assets in the fund. So how much they can retain will be interesting if they're able to convert. A uh, lot of unknowns there, like I said, but um, if – they convert and keep their $20 billion. Let's just say they – and they somehow are able to retain all those investors. Um, you could argue $20 billion is instantly in this category, right? So that's where we get to that higher number. Um, if they had much less, I would – my that's $20 billion is a lot of money. So they would have almost like an instant lead if they, if they were yes. to convert. Hmm. Which is why they're so pumped. I mean, they really want to be out there early. The longer they are delayed, the worse it would get. Because say you have a BlackRock or Fidelity fund, and that one starts to see volume and assets, and it starts to seem like it's happening. Um, people stuck in GBTs are going to feel like they're missing the, the, the real party. Um, it's like, oh, not, not only is this liquid, it's BlackRock, and it's uh, one-third of the cost of this fund that I'm currently in. i got to get over there. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, Again, this it's will, like crucial for it, them. It is crucial. I mean, they hired some heavy duty lawyers. <laughs> they know. So obviously, you know, as you mentioned, like all this um, speculation that there's an approval coming is driving the Bitcoin price. Do you think that I mean, I, I know it's, it's very hard to make this call, but uh, do you think that there's even more room for Bitcoin to, to rally on ETFs speculation without getting like ahead of the actual money flows coming in. Like to me, like, you know, Bitcoin is already uh, at uh, near 35,000. Um, I don't know if like the market is getting ahead of itself, like versus how much actual flows will come in on that first week, especially after what you were saying that it's not going to be instant. Uh, with with this being more advisory money, so yeah, like t basically, like will it be um, a sell the news kind of thing, or are there actual fundamentals to keep driving the Bitcoin price on this? Um, I would defer to you. I can't I can't give investment advice mm -hmm. or do price predictions. All I can tell you is there's probably going to it's what we saw with Bitto, the futures ETF. It was a buy the rumor, sell the news event. Right, because as soon as Biddle launched, that was like the top. I think that top hasn't been touched yet, because then after that, FTX happened, and so I think that's still Biddle's launch date might be the actual top. Still, um, I believe it was like sixty-seven thousand dollars or something, right? So we're only like it's half that back, right? Um, I can see it move sometimes on news on this, but overall, I certainly what I tell people is. I don't know the short-term movements. I, I, it's just so hard. There's other variables. How much of it is priced in? Just don't know. Uh, what I do know is if you're someone long-term, it's hard to not see a lot of this as just being a good thing because 
it's almost like you, you live in this town and there's a river and they're also going to build like five bridges. You're clearly going to get some more people coming over. You're like, it's just, just by having a bridge, it's going to help traffic. Um, so I think that's just the way I would look at it. Um, but how much and how much that relates to the price short term, uh, I just, I'm not, I can't go there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, no, it's I don't tough. know, but I can, there's definitely algos and people looking for quick bucks around all this. I, I don't try, try not, I try to stay out, all, out of all that because A, I don't know. And B, it's not, I can't, it's not my job. Yeah. Um, and then, okay. Once the Bitcoin spot ETF is approved, will that just open the door for other uh, spot crypto ETF? Like will uh, like a spot Ethereum ETF come next? Probably. There's already four of them filed. So my guess is just thinking how the SEC thinks, my guess is they'll do the Bitcoin first and then maybe look at the Ether ones after. And they might do something like a couple months after. That's That's probably how it'll play out. I don't know, but I wouldn't look for Ether to launch like the same day as the as the other ones. I think there'll be like this little gap, um, you know, because they don't like to get too crazy. You know, having like six spot Bitcoin launch at once is crazy enough. So I think there'll be a delay, but I don't see any reason for them to deny Ether, given they have approved the Ether futures now. It just it would be like parallel, and again, we go back to possibly even not only illogical, but technically they could open themselves up for another lawsuit. So, but I don't think the first Ether one is even due until sometime in late, mid to late 2024. So they could probably push it back till, till that time because they were filed later. It looks like Ether futures ETFs haven't seen nearly as much demand as the Bitcoin ones, right? No, not, not even close. Um, let me look at the the uh, let's look here. Yeah, I mean, eight million in the pro shares is is pretty pretty microscopic. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I've talked to a couple people. I this I didn't think these would be like a bit a huge hit, but they were underwhelming even to my estimation. Um, and my my guess is for most regular. People, like I said, all the people who are retail and are, are going to own this probably have already got it at some point. And I don't, advisors just don't mess with futures. They can't stand futures. So, like, you, you understand a lot of advisors over the last 20 years have messed around with like natural gas ETFs and oil ETFs, and they've been burned because the, the rolling of the futures is brutal in energy. Like, you could, you could buy USO at like the beginning of the year. And oil could go up 20% and you're down 10 because there's 30% of roll cost. And, and so when you have futures in an ETF, it's like spraying advisor repellent on it. So the ether, what the ether futures really tell me isn't that the advisor market isn't going to be there for spot. It tells me that what I said earlier, there's probably not this massive um, unmet demand for, for little retail investors for this. That's why I think even for spot, we're not going to see that all the minnows, I think they're doing something else. It'll be much more of an institutional advisor product and advisors and institutions just aren't going to buy this. They just, and I don't think they care about ether enough either. That's a whole nother part of it. So you've got secondary coin 
and in the in with uses futures, which is like repellent. That's that's really and. But I, I will say, you know, if it it does show us, there's not a ton of just unmet waiting retail demand, like there was in the Bido days. I think if this had if if these had launched right around Bido, they'd be have a lot more um, volume on day one, week one, month one, um, because at the time everybody was trying to get a piece of the action. You could just feel it; it's gone. Just much more of a subdued. There's no more mania. That's super interesting that it's what, you know, what you're saying that in, you know, in, in these past couple of years, it, it looks like retail has figured out a way to get their hands on crypto. Like if an individual investor wants exposure to crypto, they've uh, now they, they know that they don't need an ETF for it. Right. They 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 get it on Coinbase, on Robinhood, like on some other fintech. Maybe they got into NFTs and they're trading it, you know, under MetaMask, um, uh, which I, maybe is, is a change from the past bull run. Like, yeah, maybe ETFs will be more almost exclusively for um, for institutions. Yeah, I mean, the fact that it'll be available on brokerages across America is there, there'll be some retail, don't get me wrong, but there won't be a feeding frenzy. That's what we had in 2021. That was a feeding frenzy on Bitto. Um, that's over. Um, the good news, though, is that the investors these are designed for, and we just noted this, and I'm going to write a note on it tomorrow, actually, which is the tickers they picked, IBTC, BTCO and ARCB are a sign that they, they, these are not aimed at retail. These are aimed at bigger investors. Otherwise, they would have picked cuter tickers. You know <laughs> what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Valkyries is BRRR, which is definitely a little. And, but mm -hmm. an advisor doesn't want to fool around on a client statement with something that looks stupid. So, like, they're going to, if they see iShares, Bitcoin and the ticker's IBTC, they have no problem putting that on a client statement. But like something that's like HODL or BRR, that it, that's really more for the retail crowd. And so the fact that most of the tickers so far have been, I would call, which call them like sober, is good. I think it shows that this is really gunning for that 30 trillion of advisory assets. And over time, one or two will get liquid enough that they'll attract institutional assets and traders and hedge funds. Because they love liquidity, and if something is very liquid, um, they would easily use the ETF over any other method to get quick exposure, long or short. Um, to this day, hedge funds um, love using GLD. They love using SPY. They use ETFs all the time, but they have got to be one of the major gigantic liquidity ones. They don't go deep in the toolbox. So one of them will, will rise up to be the liquid one, and that will attract um, – institutions beyond advisors. So that's, I think, what we're looking at. But again, all this is going to take a little time. So here's something new. Bumper your assets to defend them from price drops without losing upside exposure. You set a price floor and term length, then lock your tokens into the protocol. When your term ends, if the price has fallen under your floor, you leave with stablecoins at the floor value. Otherwise, you just take your original asset back benefit from 30% cheaper premiums than options 
or earn 3 to 18% real yield as a liquidity provider. Bumper just launched and is offering a share in $250,000 of Bump tokens to early users. About like what you said earlier, um, demand for, for Ethereum, like do you think that for now it's going to be, is, is, it, is it just Bitcoin that advisors are looking at? Is that kind of just like the, the depth that they will go to understand crypto? Good question. Um, so far, it seems like that. Um, I guess we'll see. My guess is, you know, if you look at the global crypto ETFs that are currently out in the world, I think 80% is Bitcoin, 20% is Ether. So maybe we'll see some kind of a, a ratio like that over time, you know, like five to one. Um, but anecdotally, as I talk to people, it just, just doesn't seem like that's a big priority. You mean like crypto in general? No, like Ethereum. I think it's. I think I think most people will view that as like uh, something they don't get. Whereas Bitcoin, there can be okay, got it. Digital gold. Whereas Ether isn't being pitched like that. Although Matt Hogan of Bidwise claims it's going to be bigger, and so I don't know. Uh, this is a little out of my. Like I said, you're. I would almost defer that to you. But from what I heard and from what the flow show oversees it should be heavily weighted towards Bitcoin over any other asset. It's interesting. Maybe Ethereum needs um, like a, just like a simpler messaging. It does. It does. Right. Yeah. Good. Because right now it's, it's, it, I mean, it literally tries to do everything. I mean, that's, yeah. that's what it's about. So, but that's, that's hard to wrap your head around. And, and th this is important um, in oh, time and time again, Advisors have generally shunned more complicated things they don't understand. So I think this would qualify as that. Whereas, again, if you're looking at, um, you know, when you have Larry Fink out there calling it digital gold, that's huge. They all listen to him. So whereas they might not listen to, you know, somebody who's from that world, but they'll listen to him and he, that's how he's branding it. It's very easy to understand, you know, or, or even if somebody says like, a countryless currency, like that's even easy to understand. But ether is never nobody can frame it in a way that is just gets the gets it across quickly, what it is or why you should own it. In my opinion. No, I agree. I think the like the catchphrases that you know, like Vitalik has, like world computer, is very confusing. Like, what is a world computer? Um, programmable money is like another one. Um, but I think that also doesn't really get the, the point across. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have to, uh, think about, about like better branding. Um, yeah. what, what do you think the, like the place is going to be for, for crypto in, uh, in these like advisor portfolios? That's a good question. Um, so I'm not sure it's going to be seen as some kind of alternative or flight to quality. In my opinion, um, this would be more of a risk asset, but you know, again, I would quit, equate it to hot sauce and otherwise boring 60, 40, you know, 60 stocks, 60 bonds, real cheap. You had a little, you had a couple things on top of that that are speculative and it just, you know, cure your FOMO. You know, you want a little, 
uh, investment in some of these things so you don't like have regret later. And But I think they would be put on as something that expect some volatility, right? I would not depend on this to hedge my portfolio. I depend on it to do weird things, but that's okay. And so I think they'll use it more like that. Um, gold is used in a similar way. I, I suppose it's it's an alternative because it doesn't have it has zero correlation. Um, the, the Bitcoin is much more volatile than gold, so I would I would think it's used more as again a little hot sauce, um, small allocation, just so you can participate and know you own it when you read news about it. Um, that's how I think they're going to use it. I also think there's a bunch of advisors who are um, concerned they're going to lose their account as the client who's like, let's say 70 years old, passes everything on to their kids. Well, those kids use that advisor and they may want to use this as a way to say, hey, look, I'm hip. I'm into the new stuff. And you might see some of that um, in terms of them allocating uh, to sort of dress up the portfolio to make it a little more modern and youthful. But I, I, w- I wouldn't see any big allocations. You know, no, nobody's going all in. Um, I would see just small doses. So like, I don't know, like 5%, like something Even of, less. of that order? Yeah, I would say, you know, 0.5 to 5%, depending on you know who it is. But I, you have to understand, a lot of these people grew up and made a ton of money on the 60-40 portfolio, right? And now they pay no fees on that. It's a beautiful thing. You're, you're not going to eat into that too much. So you might get a small little allocation, but they're not going to sell like their Vanguard fund and put a lot of money in this. They're just not going to do it. What do you mean they don't pay fees on a 60-40 portfolio? I mean, if you if you go to you know Vanguard, iShare, Schwab, you can get the total stock market for 0.03%, and you get the t- all the bonds in one ticker now for 0.03%. So like you can get the whole, we're talking like 10,000 bonds, 4,000 stocks, and you know, for 0.03%, and it's basically free. It's beautiful. The beauty of ETFs. <laughs> I know. It's, a, Crazy. it's an investor utopia right now. Hmm. And once you lock into that, it's just that nobody's going to give that up. It's too good of a deal. But they usually have an allocation for some solutions like, oh, you know, this client needs um, income. So we'll add a little income, like customizations. And that little 10% window is where Bitcoin would fit, in my opinion. Is the 60-40 portfolio still still working? Yeah. I mean, um, you could argue, like, do bonds diversify stocks? Not in 2022, they didn't. But largely speaking... Um, Like this year, I think the S&P is up 14%. That's pretty good. Um, uh, sorry, 12% went down a little more. And the ag is down 1%. So all told, you're up about 10% this year. That's amazing. The average return for a 60-40 is like 7%, 8% a year. Sometimes it's a little more, but you know that's a that's a pretty good deal. Yeah, for for like a very what you would call like the safest bet, like safest portfolio construction. Yeah, like ten percent. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, to to wrap up, like, what 
if you can give like an uh, a brief overview of like the I don't know interesting trends outside of crypto that you're seeing on like ETF land. Like what are the I don't know the the most interesting things that are happening. I get I know it's a very broad question, but <laughs> for those of us not following kind of the day to day. Sure, I'll, I'll give you two. Um, huge development is that you can now get five percent interest on like a treasury bill, which is the safest thing, mm-hmm. um, or a money market mutual fund, which has a uh, a stable nav of a dollar. So it can never go down. You get 5% a year in a money market mutual fund. That's a new development. They used to yield nothing. But since rates went up, they now yield 5%. So many people, it's been harder for equities and probably crypto and every asset class to get flows the way they used to. Because if you can make 5% with no risk, you're going to have to work twice as hard as, a diff- as another asset class to get my money. So those money market funds have grown by a trillion dollars in the past year. That's a major development and something that has changed the whole physics of the portfolios and flows and mm-hmm. huge. Um, I can't, it's boring, but it's massive. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one is the return of active. Active had been like kind of pushed mm. aside for like 15 years. It's kind of coming back because it got real cheap. <clears throat> and they're starting to like have active with solutions. It doesn't just pick stocks. It'll like, it'll pick stocks that are low vol and then write call options on top of it sort of give you the market, but with a little buffer protection so it doesn't go down as much if there's a drawdown. These kind of legwork package trade active strategies are selling really well. Um, and so, and again, this is the advisor market. These are nervous boomers. Mm-hmm. And so they're really gravitating towards these more conservative structured products that uh, help you sleep at night a little more. And that is a huge development also. Um, those two things I think are, are pretty good. Um, they come to mind because I just, we write about them constantly. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I would just leave it at that. I mean, unless you had a specific question. So it's, it's, uh, those active, um, strategies, they are still ETFs that yeah. let, I don't know, like an investor. Yeah, that's, that's why I, you can put almost anything in an ETF, uh, and mm-hmm. I, I very trust the wrappers. It, people throwing all kinds of stuff in there. But yeah, you can have an ETF that says, um, do something like this. Okay, we're going to we're going to start with the S and P, and then we'll we'll screen out high high volatile stocks, and we'll just own like uh, stocks that don't move that much, and then we'll write call options on the S and P, a little bit out of the money. So we'll give up some upside, but we'll get a premium from writing those options, and that will be extra yield. So we'll give you like an 11% yield, which helps buffer downturns. It's almost like I'll call a package trade. They're doing like X, Y, and Z for you that you could do yourself, but all mm-hmm. you do is hit buy, and you've put on this trade. Um, and, you know, some ETFs hedge the currency in other countries. Um, there's ETFs that go long short. So they're putting all kinds of stuff in there. Um, because people love convenience, you know, I mean, ETF will do all this stuff and all you have to do is hit buy, right? So it's doing a lot of legwork for you. Are, are the fees on those a lot higher though? Depends on which one, but like they're between 35 and 75 basis points, which isn't that bad because 
a lot of people are coming from a world where active mutual funds would charge you like 1.1%. So this is less than that. But again, then once you get down to the, the Vanguard area, 60-40, it's all under 10 basis points now. So I would call that vanilla. But no one's launching vanilla anymore because it's already had. I mean, it's all free now. No point. So what issuers are doing is they're launching things that can be additive to that core um, or really um, spicy, you know, like single stock ETFs, um, thematic ETFs. Um, so obviously the, the industry is going to move to where it can make some money. And that's why the <clears throat> spot Bitcoin ETF race is so popular because this is something that has a viable spot in a portfolio and you could probably charge a little more than like three basis points. Um, and, and that's um, where most of the innovation launches and activity is in stuff that would only make up a small part of your portfolio. Because who the hell wants to compete with Vanguard for the core now? When you get lower than three basis points, you will make no money. Mm, so things are getting more and more like sophisticated and yes. weird. Yeah, and <laughs> solution-driven and... Mm. Um, but you know, some of it sells. Yeah, no, I bet. But like, so, so what happens with active fund managers if like ETFs are doing the same thing? Well, luckily the market's gone up so much, they still have a good amount of assets. So they're not starving, but over time there will be, uh, a culling. They're just not going to be as much money to pay everybody. Um, but they'll still exist. You know, there'll be some that carve out a niche for themselves, but, it will probably take a, a decade where stocks and bonds don't go up a lot or, or they go down. But over the past 15 years, a lot of these managers have lost their client base. So even though the stock market, the stocks they own are, are like up more, so their assets look okay, the actual clients have migrated to cheaper index funds or ETFs. So they're left with like an asset mirage and they don't have much clients left. And they're going to probably get acquired. There'll be like a, a consolidation. Um, yeah, and every industry goes through these periods of disruption and we're going through it. The difference in this industry is that as long as the stock market goes up, your assets can like go up enough to offset the outflows. So right now it all looks okay, but like behind the house, there's been like a huge corrosion of like their base. So it's, it's going to get ugly at some point. But like I said, some are already preparing for the future by trying their best to evolve into the ETF market, lowering their fees, coming out with solution-based products. Um, those are the ones that will probably survive. Um, but the ones that are like still living in 1995, charging 1% to pick stocks, they're going to they're gonna die off. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Ask yourself, who would pay for that right now? And you can't find anybody. So I'm a big fan of anecdotal. No one's going to buy that, especially in mutual fund structure which has, you know, spits out capital gains constantly. Um, so if, if, if you wouldn't buy it, and you, no one else probably would either. So it's not looking good. Yeah. <laughs> um, to, 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 like, really wrap up now, like, these, um, what do you call it, like, active strategies? No. What, what did you, um, the ETFs that, like, Package trades. Do a lot of the package trades. Mm -hmm. Okay, so they they sound like um, w like a lot of DeFi products. 
Uh, so there's there's our protocol. I don't know how deeply you are in decentralized finance, um, but shallow. So there there's there's a like a DeFi protocol uh, called Yearn, and there's a like a couple others like that that do exactly that. Like they have a sequence of trades that they perform for for the user for the trader. Um, the difference is that it all happens on-chain with no intermediaries using smart contracts and you know you you do pay you know like the gas cost which sometimes maybe it's it's higher than the you know 70 bibs that you you mentioned but <laughs> um there the idea is that like with with layer twos and like other tech like that will come uh, down uh, way lower um and yeah like the whole point is like stripping out like all these intermediaries so you know, I need to throw in my DGEN question, uh, like in the very, I don't know, long term or at some point, do you see, um, do you think that the, the, the rails upon which all of these instruments are running and maybe like the like bond stocks themselves will be uh, digital, like will be running on like blockchain rails, like a lot of the the back end right now for banks they they've been testing using blockchain do you think that that has a chance to permeate to all of wall street you mean like the the whole thing revolving around the blockchain and using tokens and stuff yeah like um like all of these trades settling on on a blockchain like on on a public ledger uh, bonds yeah. are digital stocks are digital possibly um I just haven't explored it enough. I know I, I hear about it, though, um, and it's definitely possible. But the the one thing about DeFi that I would say is that I get it, and you want to disintermediate as much as you can, but when it comes to, like, your personal money and, like, your kids' edu college education and stuff, you really want someone to call just in case you have a problem. And if you go to DeFi, there's no one to call. And so I think there will always be at least one layer where like the BlackRock, you know, you can always call BlackRock and be like, hey, I'm one of your investors. I have this issue. And you'll get somebody on the phone. If it gets too DeFi, I mean, you, you, you know, what are you going to do? Like, just call the blockchain? <laughs> you go on Twitter, you, you write a thread, you, you wait for uh, a dev to, to maybe reply. No, no. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think there's a concept uh, called the DeFi mullet, where it's like fintech in the front and DeFi in the back. Um, so yeah, I think that's maybe like a, a viable option for uh, for just like the, the more mainstream who do want to have like a, a support line. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, okay, this was a super helpful, super interesting conversation. Thanks so much, Eric, uh, for, for coming on the pod. Um, and yeah, we'll be looking very closely at what happens in the next uh, 10 weeks. Um, yeah, will be really interesting to see. Um, a, a very historical decision. Either way, I guess. Yeah, it should be exciting. Anyway, great talking to you.